from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hey, welcome to another episode of Soft Rep Radio. I am your host, Rad, and I have a very special guest today. Ranger Hall of Fame, inducted in 2013, Max Mullen. Welcome to the show, Max. Well, thank you for the invite. I'm glad to be here. You know, I really appreciate having you on the show. We tried to get you back on a few months back, and there were some technical issues, and we were able to circle around and bring you back on the show. So again, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day. I know just off the top of my head, you just got done with speaking at the Ranger graduation recently. Can you, is that right? Yeah, Friday was the Ranger, Ranger School graduation for class 7-22. 
And um, it was it was really good. I, I believe it was it started out with 330 original Rangers, and it graduated with 162. So it was a, so it was pretty packed. You know, typical. Made it through. Yeah, and, and so you know it was um, so 162 plus. You have Rangers who had to be recycled through the different phases that helped make it up to class. So it was quite a few that would drop from that. You know, three and something people. It was it was something else. Right, because you may have Rangers that were in training that may have received, you know, some type of, you know, go back a week or two and then join this group and they would fall in with this. Yeah, you know, as they go through, yeah. right, Rangers have to, you know, either get injured and they be held over to the next class and catch it with them. They may be hit with, you know, injuries or peers or their failed patrols and they go before board and the board, you know, evaluates their infractions. And so they uh, may be picked up with the next classes that come through. But a lot of them are like injuries. Somebody get, you know, empatigo or something like that. They hold them over till the next class catches up and they move on through the course. Well, that's amazing. So you see this younger generation taking your slot when you were that younger generation. You were in during like the 80s, early 90s. Am I right? What year did you serve? I joined the Army back in 1976. And so basically the Vietnam War was just winding down. The war officially ended, I believe, and was in 75. And I remember, I finally remember it. All the church bells and everything were going off in the in my town I lived in. I said, "What's going on?" I said, "Well, the, the Vietnam War has officially ended." So when I joined Army in '76, it was different. The war just ended, and the Army at that time was really, really in bad shape. And you know, you'd be a young 18-year-old kid coming off the block, you know, joining, and you want to do the right thing. So my first duty station was Korea, and it was a it was an eye opener. You had a lot of most of the NCOs were Vietnam vets. Then a lot of the officers were, you know, just didn't serve because, you know, the officers, they move up through the chain and stuff like that. So the company commander and all the platoon leaders, mm-hmm. they're just, you know, they never served in combat. And so you had a lot of racial stuff going on during the late 70s. But uh, as soon as President Reagan took over, when he, you know, when he became president, the Army transformed just about overnight. It was unbelievable, the transformation. Oh, yeah. And you appreciated that. Is that what I'm understanding? Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. Big time. So yeah. you kind of see things like that going on now. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, right? And so you're getting trained now by hardened dudes who've been to Vietnam now. These are your mentors. These guys have been through the bush. Yeah, and you have to remember, uh, a lot of the equipment, when I, when I got to Korea, I got there on January 7th of 1977. Young PFC, I was assigned to an Army unit, right? I was 11 Charlie Mortars, so um, they had the four deuce mortars, M106 mortar carriers, so when I got there, uh, myself and, uh, you know, two other privates, we didn't know what to expect. Old Quonset huts, you know, um, open bays. And so they came in out of the field and uh, they was like, <laughs> they treated us like, like crap. We were called turtles, you know, basically had to do, just do everything at their whim. And the discipline wasn't all that good. So as a young private, he's pretty impressionable. So he can easily fall onto the wrong side. But, uh. I had a really good platoon sergeant. His name was Sergeant First Class Gore, a Vietnam veteran. You know, I made specialists pretty quick. And so, you know, I call myself bad-mouthing them, you know, trying to show up in front of the platoon because there really was no discipline. And like the privates and the specialists, we ran the platoon. We didn't have a platoon sergeant. We had an E-5 who was scared of us. So Sergeant Gore came and said, hey, you know, my name is Sergeant First Class Gore. I said, oh, okay, here we go. And um, I, I lipped off to him. And he said, I want to see you after this formation at PFC. I said, okay. He said, okay, Sergeant. I said, okay, Sergeant. Everybody started laughing. And so then I went down to the barracks and 
the guy said, hey, certain girl wants to see you. I said, oh, damn, what do you want? And um, they said, yeah, mother, no, yeah, all right, that's turtle. He just got it. He ain't going to, you know, he's just blowing with tickets. So I finally remember I got up to his Quonset hut. I knocked on the door. He said, who is it? I said, PFC Mullen. I was, yeah, it was PFC. I said, PFC Mullen. He said, hold on. So I heard a little scuffling and stuff. I said, damn, what's this dude doing? And so then he said, come in. Let me tell you something, Rad. As soon as I stepped through that door, I knew I was in trouble. Because Sergeant Gore was sitting on his bunk. And I saw the Red Eye Platoon Sergeant, the Mortar Sergeant, the other platoon sergeant, E6s and E7s, right standing there looking at me. I said, oh, damn. And I got at parade rest real slow. And Sergeant Gore got up off his bunk and walked up to my face. And he put his nose right on mine. And his eyes were bloodshot red. And he said, if you ever, if your black ass ever, you know, he's, you know, black American, ever disrespect yeah, me for my opportunity again, yeah. I will beat the snot out of you. I'll beat you down so bad I'll bury you in the rice paddy, blah, blah, blah. You understand that? I said, yes, Sergeant. And he just went the hell off on me. <laughs> and then I remember he took that big knuckle and he blasted me in my gut. And I went down on my knees, and I felt nothing but boot leather and fists ring down upon my body. And I remember Sergeant Gore saying, don't hit him in the face. Don't hit him in the face. You know, little punches and stuff, right? Wow. And then he said, oh, gas enough. So like I stood up at jabs. parade rest. Yeah, body jabs. I stood at parade rest, and he said, you took your butt back down in that damn Quonset hut. And if they ask you what happened to you, you tell them you slipped in the shower. You understand that? I said, yes, Sergeant. He said, what happened to you? I slipped in the shower, Sergeant. And he said, another thing, you're going before the soldier of the month board, and you better win it. I said, yes, Sergeant. He said, you understand that? I said, yes, Sergeant. He said, get the hell out of my damn my damn hut. Walked back down to the barracks, and he said, what happened, Mullen? I said, nothing. I slipped in the shower. And I remember Corporal Woods jumped up. He was the EO, yeah, Equal right. Opportunity. He said, oh, hell no. Dude. He beat you up, man. You need to put in an EO complaint. Man, hell, he can't put his hands on. So I said, look, I'm all right. I slipped in the shower. And from that day, my life has transformed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, all the guys, went, all the guys yeah. went down to the village partying. I stayed in the barracks studying, 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 studying. Soldier the month board. So Soldier the month board came. I knocked on that door. I walked through there like a guard from the old tomb. And they were so impressed. They said, damn, okay. And it said, um, PFC Mullen, you're, you know, combat support company, soldier of the month. I said, wow. So I went on to win soldier of the month for battalion, brigade, division, soldier of the quarter. You know, I won it two times each of them. And so then Sergeant Gore said, you no longer one of the boys. And I was promoted to specialist. And he said, the most powerful thing you have in your hand is this little green ledger and a pen. He said, I'm going to put you to your first test. I said, well, all right, Sergeant. He said, you go down there. And you pick out 10 guys, 10, 10 soldiers, for a damn detail at the AHA, which is ammunition supply point. I said, I go down to the barracks, hey, brother, say, hey, come on, you know, you know, we got a detail. Man, go to hell, man. You know, man, F you, man. We ain't doing jack message. Come on, you guys. You know, I got to do it with the platoon sergeant. I said, man, right. do it yourself. When the sergeant goes to Haiti, he didn't want to listen to me. He said, see what I tell you? He said, start taking names down. I went down there. and said, hey, look, so-and-so. Man, boom. Okay. Start writing. What are you doing? Said, okay, you want to play this game? So the pen is powerful than the sword. So I right. no longer one of the boys. And so life trajectory. But I look back on it. Half those guys I served with, and I was a private back in the 70s, either I put out the army, kicked out drugs or something. But 
old Sergeant Gore a lot for that old school. They call it wall-to-wall counseling. I loved every bit of it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Right. And so here you are. How old were you? That was 17, 18, 19 right then? I was 18 years old and was, and what really. I got to go back just a little bit further. Back in 1958, I was offended living on Okinawa, right? Five years old, living on Okinawa back in 1963. My father was an army band. He was a, a phenomenal musician. Um, he went to Florida A&M um, College, oh, which is a famous black college. He was in a marching famous marching one band. He even dated Ophelia Gibson, the first black Wilmington tennis pro. He was a phenomenal musician. He played with Ray Charles. When he was in college, you know, as backing musician on some of the sets. I mean, the Army Band, he played oh, at yeah. Eisenhower's funeral. Pianist. He played at JFK's, John F. Kennedy's inauguration. But here I am, Okinawa, and I remember I met this oh, man. Wow. I never forget his name was Sergeant First, his name was Steph Sergeant Cherry, a black Special Forces Green Beret. And I remember he walked in and I saw his boots. Mm-hmm. I was in total awe, a little short kid. I said, awe. And I said, I can see myself in your boots. And he said, yeah, that's what you call a spit shine, young man. And um, I said, wow. And I said, what is that you have in your head? What's that, that funny hat? He said, this is a Green Beret, Special Forces. And he took it off and placed it on my head. 
And he said, you want to be special for it? I said, yes, sir. He said, okay, you got to, you know, do good, do what your mom said and so forth. And so then at that time, the 173rd Airborne Brigade was stationed on Okinawa, right? This They stood up. And this before they deployed to Vietnam back in 64, you know, the Battle of Dacto and so forth. And so you had the 503rd there, and they had an organization day. And I finally remember at the age of five years old going down there, they had the weapons equipment layout. They had a little hand-to-hand combat demonstration. And they had a little mock tower, a, a little mock tower, a 35, little mock parachute tower where you put your little kitty like harness for on. for rappelling and get climbing up, no, this rappelling for, down it and doing you know, you like jump simple out, maneuvers. You know, you jump out. It's like you jump out, you slide oh, down, for you have airplanes. harness on. Parachute. Yeah, for airplanes, right? For I see. I got you. So I got an you, airbus yeah. could have called a 35-foot mock tower. So that little kitty tower, he put the harness on. He had a jump master's wing shining. And it's crazy how you remember these things as a young kid. <laughs> but I remember so it was yesterday. And I remember saying, young man, when you go down, I want you to holler Geronimo. He said, are you scared? I said, no, sir. He said, okay, ready? So he, you know, touched me on the shoulder. He said, go. And I said, Adronimo, and I wanted to be Airborne Ranger. And so then I went on. Right then um, and there. I remember uh, I jumped off my parents' house, the quarters with an umbrella, fell into the bushes, got scraped up. And so that set me on a course for wanting to be, you know, special operation at that young age. Yeah, you're already daring. You already wanted to do it. So off you go, you know. Yeah, you have to remember <laughs> Straight to the, the Army. 60s and 70s. Straight to 11 Charlie. Yeah. Yeah, you got to remember, this is doing the 60s. It was terminal years. And I You're in around, at a different time. Very different time. Very different. Lived on a, on a military base. So you didn't see a lot of this racism, all this crazy stuff. I grew up doing the civil rights movement and all that. So I see a lot of this stuff that's going on and half the stuff they're putting out is nothing but propaganda and lies. And I tell them, well, I lived it. I've seen it. So a lot of the stuff they're putting out is, is, is fake, fake history, revisionist history. But what's crazy, that Sergeant Cherry, I've been trying to find Sergeant Cherry for the longest Ever since, the, you know, uh, I was bumping the Special Forces guy, do you know Sergeant Cherry, 1st Special Forces Group, Okinawa? And he said, no, no, no. And then two months ago, I'm in this group, McV Sog on Facebook. I saw a story on Sergeant Cherry. I said, man, it's got to be the guy. And so I finally contacted Sergeant mm-hmm. Cherry. I said, are you Sergeant Cherry, 1st Special Forces Group, Okinawa? He said, yeah. You know, he's in his 80s now. I said, you may not remember me, but I was a little kid. My mom was your wife's best friend. And I remember... You put a green beret on my head. And I said, I never forgot that. And he was absolutely stunned and shocked. I told him this stuff, right? I said, I've been trying to find you for going yeah. over almost 50 years, Sergeant Cherry. And I said, I never forgot what you've done. Don't, of course, I said, if it wasn't for you, just, you know, just those kind words. I'm off wondering how my life, because you set me up for success for the rest. And so then Sergeant Cherry said, I'd like to see you. And we met each other last month. And I remember he pulled up. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, we, met at, we met at a restaurant. He pulled up. And I saw the silhouette. And I, he got out the car. He, he not a lot older. Had a special forces hat on. <laughs> to me, he was a giant when I was a kid. But he's a short man. I said, wow. I said, son, Cherry, you just don't know how long. And so I hugged him. And so this 64-year-old man was that five-year-old kid when I hugged him. And we sat there and oh, we ate this. lunch. And I told him all that stuff on Okinawa, how he inspired me. And he was absolutely stunned and shocked. And I said, Sergeant Chair, you just don't know how much the inspiration, just the kind words, your presence, how it impacted my life. And so that's what I want to do is try and inspire, impact a younger generation. And so after that, when I got to Korea, fortunately, my career path didn't take me special forces. But I was in Korea, young PFC. Uh, we were doing Team Spirit of 78. And at this time, um, we, you know, a lot of 
the training was conducted in wintertime because you had to track vehicles and, uh, you know, the grounds were frozen, rice space frozen, so you could do a lot of maneuvers. So you did a lot of maneuvering during the wintertime. And I finally remember, I said, hey, make sure you get your track squared away. The CG is going to land. That's the command in general. And so um, our, our gun track with the number two track was the, which is the base track that lays all the guns. So that's like the, that's like the man, right? The base track. A young PFC. And uh, my squad leader was a Sergeant E5. And I was the, um, I was the ammo bearer. And he said, I'm going to put you in the gunner's position because he was training to be the gunner. And so the helicopter landed off jump, this, this man, tall man. And his entourage, you know, the PL, he met him. He, he's talking, he went down the CS40, the FTC track. Then he came to CS41. Yeah. And it was Major General David E. Grange, right? And he walked up on my gun track, his, you know, his entourage out there. And my PL, platoon sergeant, said, you know, look, give me that look, don't mess up. And General Grange, he said, where are you from? Yeah, right. Man? I said, I'm from Zion, <laughs> Illinois, sir. He said, um, um, he said, relax, relax, right? You know, I'm shaking here. He's a two-star general, commanding general. And I looked on his master wings. He had two combat stars because General Grange jumped into Normandy at the age of 17 with the 82nd Airborne. And he also did a, oh, wow. conducted a combat jump with the 173rd, no, with the um, 197th Rakasans in the Moonsani, Korea, with the 197th. So he had two combat stars. He was a brigade commander in the 101st during the Vietnam War. And the best ranger competition is named after him. He is a legend in the history of rangers. Major Green, that's the best ranger competition named after him. Oh, wow. And he said, what do you want to be? I said, I saw yeah. that, that that ranger tab on his shoulder. I said, sir, I want to be a ranger. He said, you want to be a ranger? I said, yes, sir. So what do you know about rangers? Well, sir, I read about the rangers in Vietnam and the Korean War rangers because you know, I spent a lot of time in the library. And he said, my son, he is a captain in the 1st Ranger Battalion. You know, General Grange, David David Grange Jr., right? And um, his son served in L Company, 75th Rangers in Vietnam as the platoon leader. So that Grange family holds a lot of lineage and heritage. And he's in the 1st Ranger Battalion. He said, you sure want to be a ranger? Yes, sir. So then he said, um, Captain McKnight, Danny McKnight. Captain McKnight was his aide de camp. Yeah, he said, Captain McKnight, McKnight, take this young man's yeah. information. Get him all the prerequisites he needed to get to arena school. He said, yeah, we're going to get you scored there, young man. And he walked away. And so Colonel McKnight, I mean, Captain McKnight turned out to be Colonel McKnight, 3rd Battalion, Black Army, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he took my information down. Yeah. He said, I'll be getting back with you there, PFC Mullen. said, yes, sir. No kidding. Yeah. And so then I received my EIB. So we had a, an award what? ceremony because three of us got our, our EIB. We had an Army Battalion, but it, it's, the platoon was the infantry, but... I received my my EIB expert infamous badge, and General Green was there giving the awards away. I still got that picture. I sent it to you. And as he was pinning my EIB on, he said, "You still want to be a ranger, young man?" I said, "Yes, sir." I thought he forgot about. It. He said, "Yeah, we're, we're tracking. Remember, Knight's going to get with you. Yeah, you're, you're tracking." And so I was so inspired. Yeah. You know, he said, uh, "He said we're going to set you up for success, young man." I said, "I really appreciate it, sir." He said, "Just soldier on." you know, work hard and just, you know, become a professional non-commissioned officer. And so my first two years, I served I served 18 months my first year in Korea. And so from Sergeant Gore to General Grange, two-star general, I didn't know all that fame about him, and a, a captain who would eventually become a battalion commander and one of my real dear friends, that impacted my life. So sure. in 18 months, I was a two-time, my, my mortar platoon 
We were two-time division champions, four-deuce champions. I was a two-time wrestling champion, second infantry division, Indian Olympics wrestling champion. I was a Taekwondo champion. I won the battalion, brigade, division, division, NCO the quarter, each of them two times. And I took fifth place in eighth army, soldier of the month. In my gun track, I have so much pride that our gun track, our mortar carrier received a 99.9% rating. Because when they came onto our track, they looked and said, is this a new track? I said, no, sir. He said, and they lowered the ramp. It looked like it was brand new. It came up right out of Detroit. He said, he said, what? He said, yeah, what I did is I took a TM and um, our track, they had to they had to pull it in out of off of Team Spirit. And they were cannibalized for parts to keep all the other vehicles. So we had around a little over a month to get the vehicles ready. And so we had a new pack put in. I told my, my gun crew, I was just a young EFA, uh, oh, the corporal, oh, the corporal, right? I said, look, you know, we got to get this gun track E4, up. So we paid E5, the Korean Odyssey. Yeah. I was a, a corporal, a corporal, but I went before the promotion board, that, but I didn't get the cut, so I was a corporal. And so I paid Odyssey to, you know, the repaint our vehicle, the, uh, you know, the camouflage, the BDU camouflage pattern. And uh, we put all the stickers and stuff in. He painted inside, the, you know, the, the um, lime green. And we toiled on that track. And when he lowered the ramp, they thought it was a brand new track out of Detroit. And the guy said, you kidding? You sure? This? I said, sir, this, this track is just as old as the other ones. And so he went to turn the engine on and the engine light, <laughs> engine oil check light blew out. That was the only gig that track had, only gig, and so, so that's from the ninety nine point nine 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 percent. Yeah, the highest, <laughs> the highest rating of any track vehicle in the second division. This is at the corporal, and so then I left Korea with the meritorious service medal. I didn't even know what it was, and so then um, that set me up. Right. And so then from there, I served in Alpha Company one seven five. And the crazy thing about it, it seemed like it hit everything when it was historic moments. When I got the first bat, at that time, they only had two Ranger Battalions, first and second Ranger Battalion. And first battalion just stood up back in 74. So I'm getting there in 70, yeah, 70, I'm getting there in 78. And it just stood up in 74. Oh, um, no, I got there in 79. It just stood up in 74. Hey, this is Rad with Softrep Radio, and I just want to talk to you about Brandon Webb and John David Mann, right? Okay, these two guys have been hammering out books, and they just brought you a new one with Cold Fear. That's right. New York Times bestselling authors Brandon Webb and John David Mann have just put out Cold Fear. It is the adventures of Finn, the Navy SEAL. You got to check it out. Read that book. I think it's going to come out on Audible. So Brandon Webb, John David Mann props i was assigned the 101st airborne when i left korea so when i was the 101st airborne i was sitting around and i said you know what uh, it got to be something better than this i remember so then i got the information from colonel C- captain mcknight on the prerequisites on how to apply for ranger school so i put in a 4187 4187 i took the airborne pt test you had to be a two-time volunteer airborne pt test and also then i took the um, ranger pt test and so um, I came down to orders and went to Fort Benning, Georgia, with the Airborne School. And then it was crazy when I graduated Airborne School, I made E5 at, at, at Fort Campbell, right? So the E5. And I went straight. I was supposed to go straight to Ranger School. And so I told the Airborne instructor, say, look, I'm supposed to start Ranger School next week. Cause at that time, the only ones that had pre-Ranger was 1st Ranger Battalion and 2nd Ranger Battalion had little pre-Ranger programs. But all other servers didn't have pre-Ranger programs. 
So that's why you had this, this DA pamphlet that tell you all the prerequisites that you must be proficient in, skill level one and skill level two tasks that you should be proficient in prior to attending ranger school. So I attended ranger school. So when um, I got to, when I graduated airborne school, they were putting us on the buses. The first ranger said, hey, hey, sir, I'll start ranger school next week. I'm going to stay here. All right, now get on the damn bus. So he made me get on the bus. I go all the way to Hunter Army Airfield, report in. And do the first range battalion. We're out there at Sabre Hall, and I remember this guy named Sergeant Lamica comes up to me. He said, What are you doing here? Because if you're in NCO, you're supposed to be ranger qualified prior to going oh. to the ranger battalion. I said, Hey, I tried to tell him that I start ranger school next week, and they put me on the bus. My class starts next week. And so Sergeant Lamica, he was right. pissed off. He said, Damn it, now we got to waste a damn slot for you. I said, Sergeant, why are you, why are you sweating me? I mean, it's not my fault. I tried to tell him. And so Sergeant Lamico, he was, he was pretty yeah. nasty towards me. He said, well, we're going to make it, we're going to put you through in a pre-ranger. I said, no, 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 no. My, I start next week. I got orders, right? So they had to put me on that bus. And i never forget his words. He said, well, you're probably not going to graduate anyway. I said, okay. That lit a fire in me. So um, I got right. to Fort Benning. Yeah, right. Tell me no. And uh, yeah, I got to Fort Benning and what was crazy <laughs> Yeah, it was like it was a shock. It was a, it, it was a shock. Um, Ranger school back then. You had the infamous Morgan team. The first week we probably got less than six hours sleep, and it was like ball crusher for the first week. Sleep deprivation, you know, food deprivation. Everything started there, and it was like chaos. And I said, "Man, what the hell am I got myself into? What am I going to quit?" And yeah. so. Uh, yeah, I made it through the um, made it through Camp Darby, a Morgan team. Made it through Camp Darby, made it to the Florida phase. And Florida phase is when you're over the hump. That's when you're over the hump. And uh, what's crazy about Florida phase? I remember um, it was raining one night so damn hard. It rained on us for something like four days straight. And the temperature is around 60, 70 degrees, and you lose so much body fat. You, you lose so much muscle mass and body fat that you know 60 degrees feel like you're freezing to death. And everything was damn wet. Everything was wet. And every morning, the new range instructor, fresh range instructor, come in. The first words out of his mouth says, "All right, who wants to damn quit? There's a bus right there. There's a truck right there. The deuce. Just grab your stuff and get on. Who wants to quit? I know you got I, I, somebody. Got to quit. Who wants to quit? He's shaking, just looking. All right, who <laughs> wants to quit? Hot chow on the back. Then you see a couple of guys grab their rucksacks and all right, yo, hop on the truck." Throw this stuff on the truck. You trying to man? Don't do it. Don't do it, man. You're gonna regret it, man. You know, hell with this crap. I'm I'm out of here. And so then um, you see him get on there. The range instructor just holler at it. So I get back on the perimeter and clean your weapons and do your priorities of work. But this one particular night, we did an ambush. And we did a uh, yeah ambush. And we were moving to the patrol base. And um, my glasses all fogged up. It's dark. You can't even see your range eyes. Everything's dim. And we were cross, walking across this log, this creek, and I slipped. And my left leg went up to my crotch in mud. And I tried to get up, and people walking oh. over me. And I'm just about to lose it. I'm about ready. Man, the hell with this. I'm out here. And I remember Ranger Kelso, he grabbed me and said, Max, don't do it, man. Come on. I got you, buddy. Got you. Don't do not do it. Don't do it. I said, man, okay, okay, okay. Well, yep. think about Sergeant Kelso, Ranger Kelso. Ranger Kelso fought with the Rhodesian scouts. He served in the 82nd Airborne. He fought with the Rhodesian Scouts, the Celia Scouts in Africa, and did some combat jumps with, yeah. <laughs> did yeah. some combat jumps wow. with those guys. 
Yeah. Came back, joined the Army, went back yeah. to the Rangers. And so him and our Ranger buddies, he eventually went on to be RTB, uh, Ranger Training Battalion, our Command Sergeant Major. We served together in first bat, and he was inducted to the Ranger Hall of Fame, and he's a Ranger legend, you know, Kelso. And so um, I graduated, got back sure. to first bat. Um, at that time, it was crazy. You had Desert One going on. Now, I remember Charlie Company deployed. That's when you had the Iranian hostage stuff, and uh, it was crazy. But one thing about the first Ranger Battalion at that time, you had second bat up there at Fort Lewis. We very rarely really didn't train that much together. You know, they had the West Coast Pacific. We had the East Coast, you know, everything, Germany, Mediterranean, and so forth. So we very East, rarely— West. Only thing we had in common really was our history and lineage. We just, we just didn't train because we didn't have a regiment at that time. But Because um, your theater of operation was different missions. than the West Coast theater of operation. Yeah. Exactly. We, we, we fell under the Joint Chief of Staff yeah. at that time. Delta was just standing mm-hmm. up. You know, they had the thing going on between Blue Light and Delta, and Delta, you know, they, they, they won the toss of the hat. And so everything was in its infancy at that time. Then Desert One hit. I remember uh, that Charlie Company was chosen to go, and they would disappear. You know, they do all this training, and they took a couple of our medics and, and everything, and said, what the hell is Charlie Company doing? You know, I had the gun jeeps and stuff, and uh, yeah, they're, they're doing something. Right. They were doing something. And so then they deployed— and then the next thing I know, you know, Desert One hit. You know, it was a uh, it was a disaster out there with a helicopter. The the Sea Knight hit the MC one thirty. It it was problems from the word go. Everything just joined. It just it was a mess. And I finally remember I was in the nightclub. I just came from the nightclub and went up to the day room to get my mail. And it was Charlie Company in the day room cleaning weapons. They just got back from uh, from um, Yemen. And I saw my buddy, Ranger Evans, you know, tall black brother. And I said, dude, what happened? Where the hell were you guys? Yeah, man, we just got back, man. We, I, I was yeah, out what there on Desert One, man. <laughs> yeah, we, we're, I was at the blocking position. And, uh, man, me and Ruiz, and, man, this um, th- this bus came up. We stopped it at this, you know, they were out in the middle of nowhere. Desert One, this bus came up, had all these Iranians on there. And um, we stopped them. And I got onto the bus. And this Iranian was speaking English said, who are you guys? And he said, we're Nigerian commandos. <laughs> he said, Evan said, I told him we're Nigerian commandos, and we ordered him to get off the bus. <laughs> if you read the, ever read the book about Desert, Desert One called The Guts to Try, you hear Sergeant Evans, you know, his name mentioned in there. And so Stan said, we, they got him off the bus. Referencing that. And so, um, yeah, and so all of a sudden they saw this tanker coming, and they hit it with a law, and with a big old fireball, and the guy jumped out of a tanker and got in his cab behind it and took off. And so it was compromised. You got this big... This tank up here inflamed, and all of a sudden they were getting ready to load the hostages up, and all of a sudden that's when the helo hit the helicopter, and all hell broke loose, you know. And so then from that moment on, the, the Rangers was transformed just about overnight. A few months later, we deployed to Twenty Nine Palms, and uh, we were doing training. And uh, I finally remember we were doing reverse training because it's too damn hot to do anything during the daytime. So we just basically just rested, did reverse training, yeah. did our training at night. And uh, I remember our company commander, we had a formation out in the middle of the desert, 29 Palms. And he started laying all the weapons. So everybody got a 203, laid on this poncho. Everybody got this weapon, boom, 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 laid them out. Then they bought off some MP5s, right? And they said, okay, first platoon, you're going to be jump clearing, second platoon, you're going to be building clearing, third platoon, more weapons platoon, you guys are going to, um, you know, be fire support. And um, third platoon, you guys are going to be um, roaming on the bikes and so forth. So... We started training 
just air filled seizure. I mean, they this all we did. And so at that time, that's when the, the Ranger Battalion really started this transformation. And so then um, after the first Ranger Battalion, I, I went back to Korea for my second tour and I had the opportunity to serve up on a DMZ, right? The DMZ mission received the MGM Scout badge. The demilitarized zone, time, right? That's the, yeah, that's in between yes. North and South Korea, right? Absolutely. Right. And it was no joke. Uh, the units would deploy up there to rotate up there for, I believe it was, I want to say 30 days. 30 days they rotate to Warrior Base, Tent City. And they would conduct patrols in a, in a demilitarized zone. And uh, we had two Garpos, Collier and Olet. And so I had a sniper section. At that time, the big thing was for designated riflemen. And so I remember Special Forces Yongsong. They came, a bunch of guys who, Special Forces Yongsong was part of first group. They came up there and they trained the designated riflemen for each of the battalions and brigades. They had to send representatives. So I attended it. And so we're out there at um, Rodriguez Range Complex. And I remember the guy... One of the guys who were our instructor, his name was Sergeant First Class Melvin McIntyre. And um, I was sitting with Sergeant McIntyre, you know, after we conducted our training. I said, hey, I heard you with McVie SOG. He said, yeah. And he would tell me all these tips of the trades of SOG missions he did. Mm-hmm. And I, I suck it up like a sponge. And literally did I know that uh, I would read about Sergeant McIntyre in last year's book, you know, John McIntyre. So he was an influence in my life. And so uh, we... My sniper section, I had a section at Olette and Collier, so we do patrols into the DMZ, have them attached. But I wanted to stay up there in Garpos Olette. I stayed there the whole month. I didn't even come down. I didn't come down. I stayed up there while they rotated guys. And I remember I would peer out into North Korea, look at North Korea every day in Propaganda Village. You could see the mm. North Korean guards wow. walking the fence. And at nighttime, you hear, rump, you hear muffled rumblings, exposures. We had this giant ship to shore binos. We had to turn it where the direction we, approximate direction we heard it. And we had to record a, a, a azimuth in approximate distance and report it, you know, to a higher and reported 8th Army. Because at that time, the North Korean was right. doing tunneling. They were tunneling. And they were finding these tunnels. They inter, interdict these tunnels. They shut them down. And the North Koreans kept building tunnels. But the spookiest thing about DMZ mission is at nighttime, the fog would roll in. And that's when you would really pucker up. We had to claim more mines off front. Every morning we wake up, we had to check. We had to go out there and check, make sure there was no footprints, rake it, because the North Koreans would always try and infiltrate through the American sector because they believe it was the most lax sector. And they were pretty active during the summertime, right. you know, trying to swim through the MGM and so forth. So I had an opportunity to serve on them. You know, got my MGM scout badge. They turned over the DMD mission to the Rocks, I believe, in 90, I want to say 97. They gave it back over to the Rocks. Damn good mission. Damn good DMZ mission. You had Pamu John right there. You had, you were there. You you see this, you know, be a part of history. And so then after I left Korea, um, I mean, it's, fact, I was. Yeah, it's a big deal because just recently there was a guy that ran across the DMZ, a soldier who just wanted to get into American hands so that he could get out of North Korea. That was like maybe five, six years ago, I think. And he got shot yeah. up by his own. I mean, they, they're no joke. They're trying to kill him. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. North Korea's uh, trying to kill they, that guy. It's no joke. It's, it's the real McCoy. They would drop propaganda leaflets. They would say, hey, you know, make sure you turn them into, I, I got so many old school propaganda leaflets. I'm glad I kept them. And I remember on my, my second tour, my, no, my, my, I want to say it was my first tour, on my first tour, it was the PFC Danny White. Yeah. He was the, he was the first of the 31st Bearcats up on a DMZ, and he walked across the DMZ to the North Korean side. Right. And the whole division is put on division alert. 
And he said, hey, uh, a soldier crossed over to North Korea. They thought he was kidnapped. And so a week later, we get these propaganda leaders being dropped all over the division area. And it shows a picture of PFC White in North Korea with a big old bouquet of flowers and all his equipment laid out with a picture on it telling him, you know, come, you know, everything's great in North Korea, blah, 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 blah. And that was crazy, you know, and um, the life is really great. Wow. North Korea comes. And so, and so it eventually happened. Um, hey, we have the same ringtone, bro. We have the same ringtone, Max. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm looking for my phone. So I was like, happened. it's my phone, Max. <laughs> and so what, what happened? Oh, man. Was that, um, I keep looking for it, too. <laughs> And so what what happened? He was eventually killed. So he's getting propaganda flowers and they're making pictures of him with all of his gear. Yeah. 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 And so (laughs) so that that was pretty crazy. And they found him floating in Jim River something like 10 years later. They they got all the propaganda out of him they needed. And then they found him floating in Jim. I think it was from St. Louis. They sent his body back to his parents. So then um, I left there. I was assigned to the 2nd Ranger Battalion. I was in the first battle with Alpha Company 175, but this time I wanted to be in B Company 275, you know, and um, there at Fort Lewis, had a lot of fun. That's when we deployed to Grenada, Grenada. And that was really the transformation. Right. So what year is this now? This is 1983, October 83. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. So you shuffle up, you get the call, you're going to Grenada. Yeah, um, I was. I woke up Saturday morning, get ready to go wash my car. And at that time, they said, oh, okay, the formation. And I said, oh, damn, here we go. And at that time, what happened was somebody let loose with the CS grenade at the Puyallup Fair. And the Rangers got blamed for it, you know. And before that, somebody shot up a star cluster at the Tacoma Dome and it stuck in their ceiling. And the Rangers got blamed for it. And so we thought it was punishment. So what they would do is have us do road marches, four mile road marches every week, every Saturday, unannounced. And I said, here we go again, another damn road march. But it, this was different. We had a formation. The first sergeant came out and said, okay, just stand by. You know, um, don't nobody go anywhere. Uh, so we had another formation say, all right, start banning up your wall lockers. Start banning the wall lockers. I said, damn, we never banned wall lockers before. So we're thinking it's just an EDRI, an emergency readiness drill. And so we banned the wall lockers. And I remember um, it's still, they said, all right, get your, get your, your D bags, C bags, D bags ready. You know, put them out, palletize them. So, well, still just another EDRI. Well, EDRI is where emergency um, readiness deployment, where you would fly out, conduct a mission, and come back, right? You know, you go through all the in-hour sequence. You go out, you do your training. You, you do the mission, then you come back, stand down, boom. AR, stand down, boom. But this was different. I remember I walked past the battalion A station. I saw them, like, shuffling real hard. And I said, what's going on? I saw, remember Dr. Julio. Dr. Julio. Uh, he went on to receive the Silver Star in Grenada. I said, what's up, Doc? He said, Dude, we get hey man, we going to war. I said, what do you mean we're going to war? We're drawing morphine. I said, no way. He said, yeah, man, we're drawing morphine. Oh. And I'm still thinking yeah, it's just the Idri. And so then next thing I know, 18 civil sides pulled up and the whole battalion loaded up. Went to McCord and we flew from McCord on C-141s all the way to Hunter Army Airfield. And when we landed and those friends went down, I saw a row of AC-130s, C-130s. I think an MC-130, all this activity, you know, um, pallets, a lot of activity and stuff. I said, this ain't no damn Idri. <laughs> we, they put us up in tip, Tent City. Oh, no, you're going. Right. We're going. Mm-hmm. And so we started planning right away. Yeah. And, um, my opportunity is, hey, um, Mullen, I want you to help make terrain model. All right. Because I actually like to draw on stuff. So he said, why don't you help make the terrain model? I said, all right, sir, well, we got any maps? He said, no, we don't have any maps. I said, no, one of the 50,000, 25, nope, not any maps. So what I want to use. So he passed out these tourist maps. Right? <laughs> a map? <laughs> yeah, yeah, tourist right. Map. Beautiful, beautiful spice on a grenade, big, big old giant, you know, the big tourist maps, right? And I said, yeah, yeah. the kid said, no, we don't, we don't have any maps. And so we made a terrain model with emphasis on the south, the southern end of Grenada, right, where the airstrip is at. And so we did the terrain model. And I remember I said, damn, I remember Grenada. Because a month before that, I think it was on 2020, they had a special. And I don't know if it was John Stossel, but one of those guys that was on the airfield in Grenada talking about at that time, the Cubans were doing a lot of activity in Africa, right? Uh, over there in yeah. Angola. And so they were saying, yeah, the Cubans just building this 10,000 foot one way to help tourism in Grenada. But they had other nefarious you know, ideals for that place. And so he had Cuban presence down there. And so at that time, you know, President Reagan was worried about it. 
And then you had the Beirut bombing. The Beirut bombing happened, I think, a couple That's right. of days before we went to Grenada. The Beirut bombing. So you had a Marine MEU heading towards there. And the next thing I know, so we, we Saturday, Sunday we're planning. Sunday, Monday morning early, we start loading up. And so they said, okay, the first Ranger Battalion, they jumped the whole, whole battalion, but they had to, due to shortage of aircraft, second bat, we had jumped with our full full battalion continued. So we had to like pick people. So I was I was chosen. And the rest of the personnel from the battalion would follow mm-hmm. on the next day, you know, once the island is secure. But doing the planning, you know, everything that mm-hmm. we planned for, we thought it was going to be a cakewalk. We're going to air land. Bravo Company, our mission was to, we're going to conduct a foot march all the way to Cavallini Barracks, right? I think it's probably around eight mile, eight mile, 10 mile foot march to Cavallini Barracks. Once there, we'll have one of our Spanish-speaking rangers, you know, tell the Cubans there, hey, stay at, stand down, you're going to be evacuated, you know, Red Cross, blah, blah, you're going to be, you know, uh, reparated back to um, Cuba. And so then um, you always want to go by SOP, Standard Operating Procedures. So I remember he said, okay, you know, with SOPs like a rifleman, this is, this is basically loaded ammunition for the carry, um, the, the saw, the two or three gunners, so forth. So each position have a lot of amount of equipment and um, ammunition for the carry. So we went to the SP. We said, hey, take what you want. <laughs> so started grabbing the ammo and just boom. And they issued us an MRE. I said, what the hell is this? Like, okay. It's an MRE. It's a, I just see you taking belts and like grenades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing. You know, yeah, then, right. uh, so yeah. I'm packing my, my, my rucksack. They said, okay, just take a BDU top. Okay, take your poncho liner. All right. Okay, you don't need this. You don't need that. And so the rest of it basically ammunition. And then they gave us an MRA. So what's this? This is new. This is new um, military mills. Before that, all we ate was sea rations. But when we're going to Grenada, we've issued MREs for the first time. And after we got back from Grenada, I never saw another sea rat. Never saw. It. Matter of fact, I still got one of my original MREs from uh-huh. Grenada. And so is that um, the brown ones, the um, brown so, package MREs meal ready to eat with like uh, franks and beans and whatnot? The brown, dark brown, right? You know, the old school. Yeah, first generation was terrible. Oh, terrible. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> and, uh, I ate it. I ate I it. Growing saying, up in an armory, it. what do you get, you know, as a kid that's 12? I've been there, dude. First generation is terrible, man. Gas, man. Tuna noodles. Oh, my goodness. I'll tell you. Chicken stew, beef stew. Oh, my gosh. Your stomach. Oh, got to be combat effective, though. You need to poop. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. So you you get an MRE. Yeah. Yeah, get an MRE. Then they said, hey, you know, the mortar is going to be here. So, hey, here's three M60 rounds. Oh, damn. Got the M60 Sixty round. I mean the uh, for the sixty millimeter mortar, three mortar rounds. Okay, boom. Oh, hey, hey, here's some seven point six two. Hey, you got to keep the M- the 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 sixties radio. Okay, got that. Oh yeah, yeah, here's a long. Oh here this right. And so Ruck was crazy. We had the um, large Alice pack, and so Ruck was basically nothing but ammunition. We had to help each other up, waddle onto the aircraft. So we get in the aircraft. Um, we, I mean, we had two gun jeeps, two bikes on our uh, on our bird. And it was packed, took off. I think it was something like. Mm, and you're physically it. fit. Yeah, we're fit. We're, we're fit. We're, we're specimens. You know, we were physically fit. Hundred percent, and you still and are. Yes, and so you're carrying all this gear. All this yeah, gear, you're incredible, <laughs> incredible amount of weight. And so uh, I remember loading up on aircraft. I saw it to the front of the bulkhead near the pilots, 
we saw a stack of parachutes, right? And so, well, that must be a contingency plan if we had to jump in. And so I think it was almost like a six, seven, maybe eight hour flight all the way down to Grenada. So you're trying to rest. It's hard to rest. Uh, I believe our AC broke. So it was getting kind of hot. We didn't, you know, AC wasn't working. And, and so, you know, you didn't, you know, you're not thinking, you know, it's going to be a cakewalk. And then, I mean, we had two signal guys up to the front, you know, um, and they were giving reports. I said, hey, we just got a report. I mean, hey, attention, attention. They're placing obstacles on a runway every 100 meters. You know, be prepared. Maybe jump option. Damn. So people pass around notes. Hey, man, it's happening after me. Tell me, right. shut up. Dude, you're going to be all right. And so then uh, we're getting close. And all of a sudden, uh, we're around almost 30 minutes out. Um, they said, hey, the first, I think we're, hey, we're 30 minutes out. They said the first pass is taking anti-aircraft fire. Yeah, first pass is taking anti-aircraft fire. We're going to jump in, start suiting up. So we started putting up, we start passing parachutes out. And we mm-hmm. said, damn, where, where are the reserves? We didn't have reserves on our aircraft, right? Second bet, we had no reserves on our aircraft. And we're, and um, at that time, you may have first, second bet. Their SOPs were a different. Like when I was in first bet, we always jumped with weapons exposed. But in second bet, they always jump with weapons in M1950, the canvas weapons containers, right? And so second bet. Uh, I went on the side of your hip, right. With, right. They weren't they were familiar with rigging for rigging the weapons for, for, for jump without the weapons container. So with an, uh, another friend of my, mine, mm-hmm. he served in first bat too. And he knew how to, you know, so we knew how to rig, you know, weapons exposed. And so we started assisting us. Right. We started to help rig the guys with weapons exposed. And then we got everybody um, suited up and, you know, trying to do JMPI and like, okay, no reserve. So boom. And then they said, okay, we're going to airland, air, take your shoots off. So we took our shoots off and threw them to the front. Then 15 minutes later, so, hey, we got rangers on the ground. We're going in. So they start passing stuff back out. And we're no more than around 15 minutes out. And we're mm. putting stuff on. There's no JMPIs really being conducted. You know, the um, Jumpmaster inspection, that was thrown out the window. And I remember mm-hmm. the just said, hey, he said, um, if you don't make it on the first pass, you're going to airland in Barbados. And so we stood up for almost... 10 minutes. And he said, when I see, when you see the light tower, I want to get the word go, right? That'd be a chain to go. That We had a green light. We had a green light on for 30 minutes. And the weight of my rucksack was, it was crazy. You're sweating, you're getting air sick and the pilots, you know, they're nervous. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're not, we're going way above a safe air jump, you know, airspeed. He mm-hmm. said, we're going in at 500 feet, uh, 500 feet. And uh, I remember I was Combat thinking static was line jump. four man in the door. Yeah, static line jump. I was number four man in the door. Mm. And they said, go. He just kind of shuffled out. And I'm looking at that little port window. And that <laughs> it didn't look like it was 500 feet. It looked like it was lower than 500. And you got to remember, during peacetime, ah. um, you jump at 1,200 AGL. And anything gusting over 12 knots, you mm-hmm. don't jump. But we're jumping up. The wind's gusting up to 20 knots. On a 10,000 foot one way at 500 feet, pilots going a little bit faster. And I remember I didn't jump, I just fell out. And I twisted all the way up to my, my canopy. And um, I'm riding my canopy, trying to bicycle out. I pulled my rucksack, the lower line, didn't even get to the full extension of the lower line. Rucksack hit, rucksack ripped open, the ammunition all on the runway. And I'm flying across the runway. I said, man, this is going to hurt. And I hit that runway so hard, I slammed into it. But mm. you got all that adrenaline mm. going, you know, just like, kind of like shake mm. it off. And so we, we jumped so you in. Back uh, we secured the right airfield. away. 
Yeah, we, we secured airfield. Uh, we conducted missions our last day. Uh, we did the Cavallini barracks raid. I was in on the Cavallini barracks raid. That was crazy in itself. And um, so here we are jumping in wow. on Monday. Here we are landing back at uh, at Fort Lewis, Washington on a Saturday. On a Saturday. And literally from Monday. That, a lot of lessons learned. And you're back on Saturday. Back on Saturday. Yeah. And during that time, that week, did a combat. What'd you jump. learn? We did the rescue. Well, the lessons learned. Well, the what was crazy was that the we couldn't talk to the fast movers, right? We couldn't talk to the fast movers, and then uh, we, yeah, we couldn't talk to the fast movers. The, the we couldn't talk to the Navy. Navy couldn't talk to us. We couldn't talk to Marines. Marines couldn't talk to us, right? And uh, then um, SOPs was very important. Uh, we did the raid. I was on the. I did the jump in. I did the Cavallini barracks raid, and also did the Grand Ar- um, the Grand Arness rescue of the students, American students, and um, it was crazy. Uh, we landed. Mm-hmm. We captured something like we we're on the ground for around thirty minutes. We captured over a hundred Cubans, Grenadians, because every time um, AC one thirty would light up that hill, they they were scared, and um, it was it was pretty wild. You know, we had the uh, international peacekeeping force there from Barbados, the Caribbean countries. So yes, it was something different. From BBC Radio Four, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says somebody's in the house, and I screamed. <laughs> Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. 
So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. That's incredible. And so who was on the ground before you, though? Wasn't there, wasn't, there's got to be someone giving you coordinates. Who are you guys working with? Is there a joint team going on here? You working with some SEALs? Right. The, um, the Marines, they're on their way to Beirut and they were diverted. So they took, they landed uh, on the north end of the island. Right. And so we're on the ground when we okay. secured the airfield. Uh, we, we cleared the obstacles off the runway. And so the C 130s would come land, right? They land, do a short land, turn around, drop the ramps, vehicles come off, then they take right off. And then another aircraft come in. Then the C 141s landed probably around an hour and a half after they're on the island. Right, they started landing, and then they started offloading the the little birds, and then they started offloading the the DAPs, mm-hmm. right? The, uh, the 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 UH the UH60s, I mean MH60s, right? And uh, I remember seeing the Delta guys load up, take off, Blackhawks, on the way to Richmond, present, and I was waving at them as it was going, and literally I know that's when they hit a storm going into Richmond, present. Um, they got shot up, you know, um, pretty good, but they. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, that was that was crazy. I saw those guys take it off, and then I saw the 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 cobra. I saw this cobra strafing, and we, I remember laying on my rucksack watching cobra go down. It didn't come back. You see a puff of smoke. So next thing I know, around a week later, I see it on oh. on Time magazine. That's when that cobra got shot down. It was crazy. Oh wow, it was crazy. That is crazy. And and so, what was Danny McKnight working with you on this whole project too? This whole situation? Because, I mean, there's a story I'm going to bring into here with Danny, right? With Colonel McKnight, because, yeah. Right. What's crazy about Colonel McKnight, right? So I get back. Then I was assigned. So so then I went and volunteered. Went to 101st, the Rockasans. And from the Rockasans, right, I went to to be a range instructor. Uh, Range instructor was the highlight of my military career, I can honestly say, before I served in the range of battalion. So from... From being a range instructor, I went to Third Bat, and I was assigned to Charlie Company, 375. And so Colonel McKnight took over. That's when um, I remember we did a mission. Now, I remember uh, when I was in Third Bat, we lost two battalion commanders, my good friend Harvey Moore, um, best ranger winner. We were roommates together for a minute as range instructors, inducted the Range Hall of Fame on the Antelope uh, out in um, Utah when the Aircraft crash. The, 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 oh, the Blackhawks crashed down in the nineties uh, here on. Yeah, that's right here in my backyard. I actually have seen that monument yeah, and paid respects yeah, to that. Monument. There is there is one out here on the causeway. Yep, that's right. Yeah, Harvey Moore. Sorry, yeah, for and, the loss uh, there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Harvey Moore, a good friend of mine, um, Colonel Strauss, and um, uh, the uh, other battalion commander. His name skips my mind, but yeah, we lost them. And so um, Colonel McKnight came aboard, and that's when Mogadishu came down. You know, Mogadishu had, and at that time, um, I, w- I was assigned oh, yeah, to the exact headquarters same time. 7th Ranger yep. Regiment. Yeah. And so I saw the one he left mm-hmm. because uh, Bravo Company and Charlie Company are quads right across each other. Like, you know, uh, Jeff Struker, all those guys, I knew those guys, you know. I knew because they're right across the car. We always talked smack to each other. Well, so when Mogadishu went down, I was up at that regiment, headquarters 7th Ranger Regiment. And uh, I remember when he came back. So what's crazy about Colonel McKnight, I didn't realize it was the same Dan- Danny McKnight until we were doing an airsoft event with John Lou. And so we drive, we're talking. And I was Get telling Colonel McKnight, yeah, you know, I remember, um, you know, General Grange, I said, you know, I remember um, this captain came up. He said, Max, that was me. I said, <laughs> damn, sir. 
So it was Colonel McKnight. Yeah. You know, you've got that information via the regiment. Yeah, Colonel Danny McKnight. Yeah. And so... Um, in like 64 it, it or, or, or like, or when you were, excuse me, in the, when you, yes, when you were in the, in the gunner position yeah. of the, of the vehicle and, and he came up yep, and you're like, this dude's got two stars on his jump wings. I want to be like that. Yeah. And so yeah. here's Colonel, today's Colonel retired Danny McKnight from, you yeah. know, Black Hawk Down movie, uh, Operation Serpent, which is in the nineties when they shot down our Black Hawks and, uh, Max, weren't you uh, somehow involved with that whole situation too? I mean, weren't you on standby or call to go into the Moog to go take care of stuff after that all went down? Was that something that was in your wheelhouse? I was up at the regiment. I, I was working at a regiment S two as a regiment um, mm. S two NCOIC. So we was, we sent some intel analysts over there, and my, my job was to stay in contact with those guys. But Alpha Company, mm-hmm. they they deployed my good friend of mine, Bobby Lane. We arranged structures together, served the first bat. He retired the command sergeant major. He's also the um, the ARTB command sergeant major, uh, Danny, um, yeah, Bobby Lane. So Alpha Company they deploy. They've deployed to Mogadishu mm-hmm. after um, you know after they went. the Battle of Bakar Market. They were there once the situation arose. But all those guys, I know. Yeah, they're gone. Yeah. Now with Airsoft, right? This is war games where you know you and I have become friends, and I met you many years ago doing war games with John Lou, General Lou, and uh, I met Colonel Danny McKnight at the time, who is now retired. You know, Danny at the time was a captain. He's moved up his ranks. So that's why we keep referencing Captain Colonel, because it's like, you know, (laughs) you met him as captain. I've met him as colonel. So here we are back and forth. But, you know, he'd be someone to have on the show one of these days as well. And uh, I would say that Airsoft has brought us all together, you know, uh, being able to go out and recreate war games and pay tribute on Memorial Day. To the fallen, standing uh, you know, at a parade rest or attention when the flag is rose the morning of the Operation Lion Claws when you know somebody boldly takes the microphone and belts out the national anthem. All right, at any voice, it's a perfect voice. Okay, great pitch, whatever. In the wind, the flag's blowing, the sun's beating down on your head, and you know you're about to go out into this village of just you know BB slinging, and you're being led by Max. Right here, Mad Max Mullen was my commander on my side for Bravo March Company. Die, baby. Colonel Danny McKnight would be the commander for Alpha Company. March or die, right? And I remember one time I felt so bad. I felt like I cheated on you. I know that John Lou was like, Rad, I could use some tan guys. And I was like, okay. I was like, all right. Or maybe you asked us. Someone asked us to go tan. And I was like, oh, man, that was weird. But, you know, I got to work with Dan, yeah. you know, specifically. Yeah, He's like, Rad. I'm like, yeah, Colonel. He's like, what do you think? What should we do? And I was like, whatever you think we should do. He's like, just do what you do. And I was like, let's go do what I do then. So, you know, the way that he is, he's like, the leashes are off. Just come back when I whistle. And I was like, <laughs> where you at, Rad? Where you at? Where's the war machine? I was like, sir, we're just putting Mad Max Mullen under oh, fire. Damn war machine. <laughs> <laughs> that damn war machine. War machine. Oh, man, I hate that. You dude. know? Yeah. You that, know? That is a combat equalizer. Oh, uh, well, it was built for. You got to talk about Ajax, right? He's my co-best friend. He's he's one that created that yeah. because we did so many boots on the ground at Lion Claws, and we were getting attacked by armored personnel carriers from the rear with McKnight. He was dropping off guys behind us all the time with deuce and a halfs. And we're like, what? What? No more. We're going to bring this to max. The, the war machine was really built with you and us and success in mind at George Air Force Base, the nuclear bomb of Airsoft. Oh, that thing, I'll call it the Kraken. And um, it, it's funny, if you ever have a chance to look at some of these uh, yeah. videos where the war machines participating, your first way, here comes 
War Machine. People scatter like roaches. <laughs> they scatter. Oh, man. War Machine. Yeah, but it's coming. funny thing about Yeah, War Machine's Usually coming. I'm, man, War Machine's coming. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the funny thing about Airsoft. Um, well, and I they don't realize that you're in, the War Machine, bro. <laughs> oh, man. War Machine. Man, that thing shoot them damn tennis balls. Man, watch out. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Airsoft. Uh, I didn't have no idea what Airsoft was until I believe it was around, two, I want to say 2005. John Lou did the first event out in California at some, some um, cow ranch. And he had invited um, Ken Miller. Ken Miller, uh, former L Company Ranger 75th in Vietnam. He wrote three Work. books. Had the most most patrols of any Ranger alert in Vietnam. Was shot down at a helicopter in a stable rig. A phenomenal mind. Speaks fluent Chinese. He went up against Colonel McKnight the first time. And so then um, the original thing is that they're going to rotate commanders out. And so then John Liu, he contacted me the second year because um, Ken Miller recommended and said, hey, you know, I think John Liu, um, we do uh, best U.S. marketing airsoft and like to know what you'd be interested in coming out in a war game. I said, airsoft? I never heard of, heard of the sport of airsoft. You got to remember, this is back in, mm-hmm. in uh, 2005. We were basically still in this infancy. And um, I said, yeah, sure, I'll come out. Right. But I didn't know what to expect. And um, they said, you're going to be play the role of the commander. And your your job is to motivate them and, and um, you know, to motivate them and also, you know, you know, lead them tactically as a leader. And so I said, sure, I'll come out. I didn't I didn't have I had no idea I'd be doing this, what, 19 years later, almost 20 years later, still doing it. But the really? good thing about Airsoft the good thing about it is that opportunity. People, you know, you have a lot of active duty people at that time that would laugh about it. You know, mock Airsoft. You know, a lot of the big gear manufacturer companies didn't want to get their product associated with Airsoft. And I would tell them, you guys are losing out on a awesome opportunity because, you know, these so-called Airsofters yeah. that always, 100%. yeah, people, I mean, they, they love the rear gear. I said, you got mm-hmm. these young men and young women out there. At least they're out there doing something. You know, they'll make fun of uh, uh, obese kids and stuff right. like that. I said, you know what? At least they're out there doing something. They're not stuck in the house, you know, playing Call of Duty. They're out there experiencing it. And I said, if I could bring something to it, you know, I'll call it a sport. Exactly. And um, I said, it's the difference between airsoft and milsim. I mean, airsoft is basically the kids going out there, they're shooting each other, just having a good time. But I said, milsim is a serious Enactment is, I'll call it, I'll put it in the same category as Civil War reenactment, World War II reenactment. And I said a lot of the scenarios are sure. based off, um, you know, real actual missions. And I saw it as an opportunity. I said, um, their kids, they're young men and women that were kids when I was doing airsoft, who went on to join the military and serve in Afghanistan and Iraq. I said, I remember you had, uh, I remember a Captain Joey, he deployed. And he came back while he was deployed to Iraq just to participate in airsoft. And I said, Joey, why are you doing it? He said, man, I just love this sport. I love it. So when I say I'm associated with Milsim, I said, I, I love it. I love the sport. And uh, I've been doing it for so long. And uh, I've been in games where it's been over 600 people, 300 people. Uh, myself, Colonel McKnight, Paul Longear, Battle Longvay, a Knight of the Silver Star, Silver Star recipient, Ken Miller, Command Sergeant Major Retard, Mark Clausios. Yeah, former former um, Delta CAG, former 75th Ranger Regiment, former um, Ranger instructor, you know, um, RTB. Right. We do this, right? We we participate in this. And you have Special these different airsoft organizations. Participating. Yeah. yeah. 
participate. It's, it's all about fun. It's not about, you know, you yeah. guys win. I don't I don't take it serious. You know, guys will play with me for one year, then they go to the other side. I don't have no problem with it because it's 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 all for the sport. You know, we're here to myself and Sergeant Colasio, right. Sergeant Major Colasio's, we're here to give realism and just try and just, you know, bring to the sport. We don't try and treat them like they're real active duty soldiers or anything like that, but we try and put them in positions where they have to think, leadership, we put them in leadership position like, uh, Eric, a young Milson may come up to me. What should I do, sir? Sir, Mom said, what, what, "What would you do?" I make them think. What would you do? How would you attack this situation? Right. <laughs> and so I treat it as a range instructor, where I'm exactly. there to, you know, critique, advise, and and so forth. And I know how hard to push the gas pedal, and I know when to ease up. But saying that you have all these different organizations out there, you have Milson West was an awesome organization. They, they like to do 24-hour games, and you have all these different airsoft venues that you can participate in. But you have to find one that fits you. If you're like, if you're into the 24-hour games, it can get as real as they it can get. You got you know, ones where they do like the indoor shooting, there's a real fast pace. But find your niche. You know, I have um, that. Yeah, you know, see, yep, exactly. Yeah, you, I have you find your niche. What you like house. to do? Yep. Yeah, indoor shoot house. You know, right. but it's a sport that everybody can participate in, and I highly encourage my active duty brothers and sisters. I had like just this last last um, airsoft event at George Air Force Base. I had seven active duty Navy uh, Navy personnel, seven active duty, mm-hmm. uh, running with me. And I hope our listener right. listening right now knows that I have just straight love for this guy right here. Okay, Max, we have the same ringtone. Yeah. <laughs> this I, guy. I'm so sorry. I put it on silence. <laughs> but uh, I have, have no. It's Hollywood okay. And we've been I, talking, dude. I mean, we're yeah. in an hour and eight minutes, bro. It's been oh, awesome. I'm sorry. <laughs> and. No, 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 because I want you to know that I want Airsoft and I want you to really helm that, you know, that beacon. I mean, Ranger yeah. Hall of Fame deployments, physically in shape, gives leadership tips, gave them to me. Things like you said that you wanted to track down the Green Beret that put that hat on your head. I get to talk to you yeah, all the time. Bro. I tracked you down and and you've said things to me that have inspired me, whether it's, you know, march or die. March or die. March or die, baby. March or die. It's like, oh, there's just really two words right there. It's either march or die. And you could use that in your everyday life, right? In my business, it's either march or die. I'm not going to be successful unless I march or die. And I just want you to know that, Max. You inspire me as well. And I hope that, you know, someone someone listening to this segment right now who may have had asthma, may not have been able to join the military for some other reason that out of their control, they can come play some airsoft with us. Absolutely. They can roll and rub shoulders with guys like you, you know, hardcore gals like, you know, that like Mama Nuke here in Utah who plays. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter where you come from. We're all, you met Mama Nuke back in uh, California. She came out with us and fought. So, I mean, airsoft allows every color, everything you want to be to play. So just show up shake hands and just get your fight on. And uh, there's no sense in, in causing drama, right? Because this whole tactical world that you, you talk about, like the big boys, the companies, the, the, the small airsoft companies, the, the government contracts out there, there's enough tactical pie for all of us to have a nibble of it. We don't need to go after each other's throats about it. Okay. Just focus on your lane and just eat your pie. Okay. And if you run out of pie, don't try to take my pie. <laughs> that's it dude. absolutely and uh absolutely. and i i just you're the man bro <laughs> i don't know about that you know but uh i i encourage you know my um 
active duty. I remember one time I had a guy who was a cat guy showed up at an airsoft event. I said, dude, what do you do? Don't say nothing. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised who, who shows up at airsoft events. A milsim. You know, you remember, um, do you know but, Hobbit? But saying all that. If, if I say the name yeah, Hobbit, Hobbit to you, yeah. do you know that name? Yeah, I know him. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Look him. at his airsoft career that he had for a long time, dude. You know, in yeah. Vegas, he had his whole environment that was all airsoft related with all those SF guys, bro. All those Delta guys that were running zombie missions. I'm just saying. Uh, uh, Apocalypse, um, Apocalypse Vegas. But what's crazy, I was on the ground floor. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was one of the um, original men oh, yeah. before it landed in Vegas. I was with, with them apocalypse vegas when it was still traveling like a traveling you know a show they would go set up mm-hmm. and they would we would run those missions and stuff so a uh, hobbit he decided to have it home base in vegas and so yeah i was part of part of that right was part of that i helped hook yeah. him up with i gotta um, walk through that with, with uh, beautiful environment the only thing that oh, yeah, that was makes sense COVID that totally makes sense yeah covid killed it covid killed it that's what hurt it COVID. That's exactly yeah. what it did because it was an indoor venue, no more gatherings. It wasn't anything to do with anything other than shutdown. It was forced shutdown. Uh, uh, you know, all of Vegas was really because it was just, it's a tourist town. So, but uh, Travis, if you're out there and you want to come play some airsoft with Rad and Max, you want to <laughs> kick it, huh? We could have a oh, little Travis. game with, we'll bring Travis. We'll bring him out. Oh yeah, he's a good dude, good bro. Man, good you know, man. so uh, yeah. it's a small world, Max. Yes, it is. Now, look, yes, is. I've, I've had you for an hour and 10 minutes. Our listeners have had you. And I just want to say thank you so much, Max, for being on the show. Do you have anything that you'd like to say? I'll give you like 30 seconds to say anything you want. Well, I just want to say, hey, participate in MILSIM, active duty, military, retirees, law enforcement. Get out there. Have a good time. Try it out. I enjoy it. You have at Fort Benning. Look up Mad Max. You can hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, you know. Hit me up. I answer all my, my um, anybody messing me, I answer them all. But I also want to say, hey, Rad, thank you so much for the years of, how long have we been up? What, 15 years? Pretty close. Been 10 years, 12 years? Yeah, it has been. 09. Yeah, yeah uh, thank you for years, all you've years. done. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for all you've done for, for Airsoft and Milsim. You know, thank you know, uh, your dad for his service to Special Forces. Man, you're doing some great things. I want to encourage you to keep it up. Um, shop his store. It's good to go. Good equipment. If you need have any advice on, you have any questions support on local, baby. equipment, hit up Rad. There you go. Support local. And so um, in clothing, I just want to say thank you for inviting That's me what's on. Up. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And from all of us here at SoftReb, on behalf of Brandon Webb. You one day. Oh, we'll get you back on, Max. This is just only one segment of many to come, okay, my friend? So we'll get that out. And I just want to say thank you again on behalf of all of us at SoftRep, my listener that's listening and the viewer that's watching. All right, I'm going to say this is rad and peace. You've been listening to SoftRep Radio. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 